0: Would you turn over in your Bibles to Revelations chapter two? We're going to continue to look at the flow of the, flowing in the gift of prophecy. In particular, prophecy that corrects. This occurs a number of times in the Bible. We go back to the words of the seven churches. We're going to look particularly at Thyatira and the correction that was given, how it pertains to us and what many Christians omit when they give correction Correction today in this particular area. So, last week we were looking at the example of, of prophecy. We had an example to follow. We saw three things that a word of prophecy can contain what I know, what I've learned, and as well as what is given to me. What I know, what I've learned, as well as what is given to me. A lot of times we think of prophecy just as the part that is given to me. But the also, as we saw in the example last time, it included that. We'll see some of those same things here in this one. In Revelations chapter 2 and verse 18, he says, And to the angel of the church of Thyatira write, These things says the Son of God who has eyes like a flame of fire and his feet like fine breasts. Mm-hmm. Now church, the church of Thyatira, you remember this from Acts chapter 16. This is when Paul went over there and he said uh, in verse 14, Now a certain woman named Lydia heard us. She was a seller of purple from the city of Thyatira who worshipped God. The Lord opened her heart to heed the things spoken by Paul. So that's one mention we have of someone from Thyatira, but a church had started there. And uh, this this letter to the angel or the pastor that is there is again, the angel of the church of Thyatira, that would be the pastor. That does come into play in some things. As we'll look at this, uh, continue to look at this. These things says the Son of God who has eyes like a flame of fire and His feet are like fine brass. This has... Much to do. These things are types of of judgment. You can write that in your outline if you want to. We're not going to spend a whole lot of time on that because we want to uh, spend our time on the the actual prophecy. The um, this is the smallest of the churches of the seven churches that are written. This is the smallest. If you look at the churches on a map, you will see that there is actually a road that connects all the different all the seven churches. And we're just kind of going around on that, that road. Verse 19, I know your works, love, service, faith, and your patience. And as for your works, the last are more than the first. Now again here, he says, I know your works. Prophecy can be from a place of knowledge. You can prophesy based on what you know. You will see these, this phrase, I know your works in all seven prophecies to the seven churches. He always starts this off. I know your work. So he's prophesying from a place of knowledge. When he says here, love—it's actually all these, all these uh, characteristics here: love, service, faith, patience. They all carry the, the article, which just tells you a little bit more about that. It's not just talking about certain acts of love that they walked in, certain ways they walked in love. It is talking about the love, the agape love. I know your works. The agape love that is in you. The word uh, here, as I say, carries the article. It's not just some type of love. The word here for service, I know your works, love, service. It is the service. It comes from the word that is translated deacon. It, it, it's looking at the service or the ministry that they were involved in. Not just different acts of service that they did or that they were service-minded. It is talking about the service that is there. It would seem that this church was very... Ministry-minded, very service-minded. And they look for people to be in service or to be in ministry. Faith, this is again is the faith. It is the article. It is not talking about they have faith to believe for healing. They have faith to believe for finances. They have faith to believe for things. It is talking about the faith, the faith of God, the, the general overall faith that they walk in. The faith would be there. He, again, the patience. We're not looking at having patience to get through certain things. We're looking at overall the patience they have that when when they are confronted, this patience is in them. It's an overall the patience. So we're not, again, he's not looking at certain acts. He says, I know your works, but we're not looking at all those different works right here. I'm looking at this is the characteristic that is in you. These are the things that are in you. You have the love of God in you. And your works that I see come from that. You have a, you have the service, the ministry of God in you. And the works that you have come from that. This is what he's, he's talking about. Then he goes on. And he repeats the word works. And as for your works, the last are more than the first. The last are more than the first. This word more means more in quantity, number, or quality. What he is saying here is that which, the works you have here at the at this point are greater than the works you had in the beginning. So he's saying you're growing. You have grown in the things of God. You are doing more in the things of God. And what you're doing now is greater in either quality, or he means all these things, number or the uh, other quantity. Somehow, he saw this. He said, what you are doing now has greater value, greater ministry than what you did in the beginning. And that's how it should be for us. There should be a growth that goes on, that happens. I heard one minister, he shared a story. He, uh, he used to like to do a lot of the uh, uh, kind of daredevil things, uh, dangerous things that he was he was doing, skydiving or uh, just, a, uh, just a lot of different things that he would do. Bungie, I don't know if he was into bungee, Whatever. It was a long time ago I heard the story. But he was talking about that. And he he wasn't doing it as much anymore because he said the Lord had witness to him. He said, look, it's taken me a long time to get you to this place. I don't need you to drop dead. <laughs> Do something that's dangerous. He said, that gift that's in you has been developed for a long time. He said, I sowed a lot into that. And I, and he heard him say that. Boy, I never thought of it that way. But you, how many of you can look back on some of the things you did for God but way back, he said, boy, I tell you, that was elementary. <laughs> Brother Hagin used to put it, he said it's, he's amazed at the deacons have to tell him to come in out of the rain. From some of the stuff that he had done before to what he's able to, to accomplish at that point. But he said, your works are greater. And as for your works, the last are more than the first. They've increased. They've become greater than they were before. So now he's done edifying them. We saw in the one before, filled up all he did was build them up. Tell them about the good things I did. But uh, we're done now. <laughs> now we're going to get into some other stuff. In verse 20, Nevertheless, I have a few things against you. Well, we could stop right there and just be blessed. How many of you would like God to say, I only have a few things against you? <laughs> I mean, wouldn't that just bless your socks off? Man? <laughs> Sometimes we get under such condemnation, we think, man, he's got a whole list of stuff. He probably needs extra paper just to list all the stuff that he has against us. But he says, no, I got a few things against you. Because you allow that woman, Jezebel, who calls herself a prophetess, to teach and seduce my servants to commit sexual immorality and to eat things sacrificed to idols. Now, much has been done about Jezebel in the New Testament and and things that have been said on this. And I think uh, some of it's just a little over-exaggeration. But let's just take a look at what this is saying here. It says, I have a few things against you because you allow. Who is the letter written to? It is written to the pastor. So when he says you allow, he's not speaking to the church. He's speaking to the pastor. It's important to know that to get the rest of this verse. Because this, if you don't know this already, it may throw you. Because you allow that woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophetess. There's a lot of people out there who call themselves different things. And we're not into this yet. We will be before we get done this. We'll be talking about the the fivefold ministry, apostle, prophet, pastor, teacher, Uh, we're going to get into all those, apostle, and and show you their their rightful place in the word of God so that you know what the word says and not what other people have said to you. But she calls herself a prophetess. There's a lot of people out there that will call themselves different things. They'll put a title on them. Some people call themselves an apostle, but they're no more an apostle than than you or I are. I am not an apostle. I I don't... pretend to be one I don't represent myself as one I know what an apostle is and I know I am not it an apostle moves around I've been here for 30 years I'm not moving around I don't have any intention to move around I don't have any desire to move around now Paul he had a desire to move around I think as long as he stayed in one place was three years and he trained up people and I heard one person uh, ministering about this apostles go out with teams Apostles had teams. Paul had a team. They have teams of people that go with them. They go in, different parts of the team, set up different things. They all have different skills. Once they get it set up, they move on to the next one. The next team moves on to, the, the that team moves on to something else. And and that's what they'll, what they'll do. But some people put the term apostle on, they pastor a church, but they have the, the title apostle, but they don't go anywhere. So that's just, I don't know, they, I guess they think it has more clout. Now, once we get into this, you'll see this. Apostle has no more clout in your life than a, than a pastor does. So, I don't know where they get that from. In fact, actually, when you look at it, the, the pastor would actually have more authority in your life than the apostle. But we'll get into that down the road. That's just We're getting too far ahead of ourselves. Don't want to do that. Because you allow, so there's a permission. He's allowing that woman, Jezebel, who calls herself a prophetess. Now, here's the thing. If you look up that word woman... Just in the regular Strongs, you don't need any of the fancy Greek stuff that I have over in my office. You don't need any of the stuff I can get access to online. If you just go over to the Strongs Concordance and look up the word woman, do you know what you will find? This woman, this word means wife. Now this, this word carries the article. That's why it's translated there, that woman. You could also translate it this way. Your woman. You know who he's talking about? The pastor's wife. Is that new for you? <laughs> because you allow that woman Jezebel, now that may not be her name. I don't think too many Jewish people were going around naming their kids Jezebel. There just wasn't a whole lot to, to do that, but they probably, it, it's probably more of a figurative thing but they knew who's who's being discussed here, because you allow that woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophetess to teach and seduce my servants to commit sexual morality and eat things sacrificed to idols. Now you just look at this verse on the the surface and you got to wonder, why in the world would a church allow someone to teach that sexual morality is okay? Why would they teach that, it, that uh, things sacrificed to idols are okay. When they had that big discussion in the book of Acts and Paul was sent to Jerusalem and had the big discussion and James, of course, got on his spiritual high horse and decided, here's four things we're going to put unto you. And uh, at least half of them were hogwash, but anyway, he put them on there anyway. James had his issues. But God still used them. Aren't you glad that even when we have our issues, God can still use us? <laughs> and God still used James. And there were some things done. But you remember... From that, that there were some things that uh, he had written in there. The four things. One of the things they were supposed to admit to, or stay away from, was sexual morality. And others, things that, that were 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 uh, mixed with blood or sacrificed idols, because that's what they did when they sacrificed the idols. Now, why would you? Why would anyone in the church teach guys it's okay to be promiscuous? If you want to go out there and have uh, intimate relations with someone who's not your husband or your wife, that's fine. That's not in the Word of God. God's not telling you not to nothing. Well, how could anybody do that? And so if you understand where these folks are coming from, then you understand a little bit more about where this, this was. This particular city, Thyatira, was, was made to protect a more prominent city, one that was uh, uh, far, far richer. One of the seven churches, and the name just ran out of me. Had it right in my head and It was gone, but um, it'll come to me probably here in just just a little bit, but it was the neighboring town, and so they set this up because people were coming from the east, and this was one of the the most beautiful cities that was there, and they didn't want their city to be messed up, so they created the city Thyatira. They built it as sort of a fortress or of of a place to stop the folks coming in from the east from attacking their city. Or from getting their stuff in their city, so that's why Thyatira was there. So it came up; they they built it up. They didn't make it nearly as ornate as the as the other city was, but uh, they built it up, and they uh, made sure it would be a fortress and a place that would keep them. And it did its job. And as it began to develop, people began to uh, be, were needed in certain trades, and so they would have these trades going on. And if you've uh, I've heard some people teaching these things before, they would have what's called the trade guilds. Then in these trade guilds, if you wanted to be someone who was a carpenter or someone who, uh, worked with, with different things, made different things, you would have to be part of the trade guild. You had to be getting out of that trade. We would call, you know, like uh, unions. You have an electricians union and it, in this particular city, if you wanted to get work, say they had electricians, they don't, but <laughs> say that they did, you would have to get involved in the union or as they called it, a trade guild and you would have to go to their meetings. And you would have to become part of that guild. And then as jobs came in, they rotated them around in the trade guild. So, all right, you got the last job. So next this, this job comes over to this person. And this is how you were assured of work. If you were not in the trade guild, then you didn't get any work. Just like in some places, if you're not a member of the union, you don't get any work. We can understand that from our modern thing, but it was a lot stronger there. Smaller city. They kept things pretty pretty close. And when someone had a job to do, they would go to the trade guild and the trade guild would dish it out to somebody that was there. Well, in these particular trade guilds, they were very heathenistic. This was a heathen city. And so in the trade guilds, they had a lot of sexual immorality that was going on. In fact, they had just just uh, orgies that would that would take place when they would have these meetings. And they would eat things sacrificed to idols. And they would do things in the area of idol worship. This would all be tied in. So as you are a Christian getting born again and you go out to this trade guild meeting, you say, I cannot be participating, part- participating in this. I, I need to get out of this. And you don't want to be part of it. So you decide to withdraw. But if you withdraw, you don't have any work. So here's your trade, but you can't do anything with it because the trade guild will make sure that you do not have any work. They they won't allow any to come to you. Now you might think, well, you know, maybe the, just the church people would give them work, and I don't know if they could uh, exercise pressure on on that. But whatever it was, they were uh, they were not doing this, and so there, there was pressure there to not be a part of the guild, but then also pressure to be part of the guild if you wanted to have work. Because when these folks got born again, when the church came into town. Salvation message came. They were already involved in these things. They were practicing this way. They were going this, this direction. And that's just the way that, how things were. They didn't think too much of it. But now, they got saved. Hmm. Can't necessarily do that. So, this particular woman that is referred to as Jezebel here, apparently got into, uh, into the church, got up in the church. And then if she certainly was the pastor's wife, you could see where she would be, begin to do this the be as far as being in front of the church, now not all pastors' wives are this wife just understand that. This is the only time I know of in the Word of God that a pastor's wife was called out like this. It was, was right here, um, so that's pretty good testament that pastors' wives usually do a pretty good job. Most of them sacrifice quite a bit in order to be in the ministry and to do the things that uh, that go on. Most people don't even know all the sacrifices. You don't know all the sacrifices my wife has done or other people have done, in uh, in their places. But uh, those kind of things will will go on. But this particular one. Um, it seems that there was some pressure on them. So this, this woman would get up there and she would see that people in the church were not able to work. Now, if you are in the ministry and you're noticing that some people in the church are not able to work, what will that affect? That will affect tithes and offering. I mean, you can't tithe off of money you don't make. And so she may be feeling some pressure. We need to allow these people to go out there and to work. And she may have been teaching them, look, it's alright, you have to do this in order to work because we live in a sinful world. So you go ahead and out there and you be part of those guilds and you do the things that they need you to do. And, uh, and then just ask forgiveness for it when you get done or just, uh, try and, you know, not participate in it a whole lot or whatever she, she was teaching them. But she was teaching them some things, it would seem, to allow them to pursue staying in the trade guilds so that they can continue to make money and come on in and and still have tithes and offerings to bring into the church. It would seem, well, we'll get to that in a minute. Nevertheless, I have a few things against you. Because you allow, this word allow there means to permit or to leave alone. Basically, we're we're doing a hands-off here. Well, she's going to do whatever she's going to do. You allow that woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophetess to teach and seduce, seduce my servants to commit sexual morality and to eat things sacrificed to idols. So somehow she is not only teaching them, but it, it puts in here seduce. Now that would mean that somehow she was luring them in. Look, it's okay. Maybe she's even saying, I'll go to the meetings with you. I don't, I don't know what's, what's involved, what she was doing here to get these folks in, in to do this. But you know, it always starts little. It always starts as very subtle. And then pretty soon a little bit more is added in. This is how you see this in churches around around here. First off, well, we need to um, we need to condone homosexuality. And then after a while of, of condoning it, now we're we're actually teaching well the Bible doesn't teach against this. The Bible doesn't say anything about this, and then we go on from there and it becomes that uh well homosexual marriage is just fine. And then we go on from there, and and well, God didn't just create the male and the female. And then you just uh, you just keep evolving into things, and one to another, and then pretty soon these things are okay. Now we even have it that ministers in different denominations, certain churches, are homosexual, live a live a gay lifestyle, and that that's how we fell into it because the church wouldn't stand up and say, no, this isn't right. This isn't the way that, that we should go so the, he's saying because you speaking to the the messenger that would be the pastor you allow that woman or possibly your wife Jezebel who calls herself a prophetess to teach and seduce my servants to commit sexual morality and to eat things sacrificed to idols now the now Jezebel in the Old Testament this is a person who came in, she was a foreigner, and she did not relinquish her hold on foreign gods, but Ahab married her in an effort to uh, create a, a, uh, a, a treaty between him and another country. And you may not know this, but Ahab was a very powerful king, probably the most powerful king in the region at that time, at his time. If you look in the Bible and you look at some of the wars that he did, he went out and he was very victorious. He battled, and he was uh, he was very strong militarily. And he was very strong as far as the country was concerned. He did a lot of building. He did a lot of improvements upon the country, so he's very strong that way. So we can't just say the guy's a weak guy, if he's being uh, when you look at him, just saying, "Well, he's got Jezebel, and he's just letting Jezebel do whatever she wants, and come on in with these foreign idols." But somehow he he allowed that to to go on. So he's strong in some areas, but Ahab was not strong at all, and she was able to influence. Ahab, she was a manipulator and we saw in 1 Kings 21 that she was also a murderer. She conspired to have a, have a murder, at least one murder done. And we've even seen that in this country, different people in political areas. They begin to uh, find someone who's against them and all of a sudden that person dies, disappears, some kind of suspicious death goes on. Uh, well, that was happening back in those days too. And this would, this would go on. She tried to discredit any real prophet. You remember what she did to the host of prophets? And Elijah uh, mentions that when he's over there with God, how he had, uh, had done some of these things, and, and some of the other people that showed up in the story told, uh, one, one person said, I protected the prophets of God. He housed them. He, cl- he uh, protected them from this woman, because she was going out there to kill him, and she wanted to kill Elijah. But she, she uh, put him down, discredited him, tried to, to tear apart his stand for the for God. And it didn't end well for her. Prophecy came out about her that she would be eaten by dogs and she was cast down from the tower and they left her there for a little bit when they came back. You know, they, they didn't find very much of her left. The dogs had come in there and eaten her up except for her feet, her hands, and her head. And that was it. And there's some spiritual significance as to those parts of the body that were left over. What that basically means is the dogs did not even want to eat those. Now this woman, apparently she was flourishing in some spiritual office in the church she uh, probably had some supernatural aspects to what she did she she probably had um something going on that looked supernatural but again she flows into this probably subtly if you're uh listening in on the the series we're doing on Jude on Wednesday nights you'll see how these folks just kind of creep in and so she probably just uh, crept in a little bit and began to to do some things whether she was corrupt before she was in the church or possibly married to the pastor or Became corrupt after that. Don't know. He doesn't seem to make any mention of that. But her, her husband was not willing to control her and to, to uh, keep these things back. You're saying, well, maybe he, he, he agreed with her. <coughs> well, hang on. So she was influenced. Now, now, Jezebel was influenced by the spirit of Antichrist. And very possibly you can see some of that influence here. But the spirit of Antichrist deals with government leaders, people that can influence governments. Don't get into the church as far as the church can affect uh, affect these things. But the main purpose of the spirit of Antichrist is to change and, and alter governments into a particular direction, and is done at all through history. Now, again, she claims to be a prophetess and a teacher. But God calls her a seducer. That's a bit of a different opinion. Many people have one opinion of themselves and God may have a different different one altogether. We need to find out what God says. Second Peter 1.21 says, For prophecy never came by the will of man, but holy men of God spoke as they were moved by God. That they're holy men of God. The Greek word could also be translated this way, holy men from God. From God or of God, pretty much the same thing, but these are, these are people that God sends. It doesn't come by the will of people, it comes by the will of God. So this woman says she's a prophetess, but she's speaking things of her own will because that's obviously not the will of God. God does not, is not going to tell people to begin to do this when there's so much in the Word of God that said, in particular those things, sexual morality things, sacrifice idols to so stay away. Second Peter 2. But there were also false prophets among the people, even as there will be false teachers among you who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the Lord who brought them and bring on themselves swift destruction. And many will follow their destructive ways because of whom the way of the truth will be blasphemed by covetousness. They will exploit you with deceptive words. For a long time their judgment has not been idle and their destruction does not slumber. They probably, some of these people would have started out genuine But they fell into what was false. They became covetous. They became envious of what other people had. And they said, we're going to find a way to get that. Verse 21. Now look at this. And I gave her time to repent of her sexual immorality. So she was apparently somehow involved in the sexual immorality. So either God sees her as involved with it because she led other people to it. Or she was sexually immoral herself. Now if she's the pastor's wife, (laughs) that's that's not so good, is it? and i gave her time to repent think about this despite the destruction that is going on by this woman in this particular church despite what she's doing is using her influence for god still gave her time to repent how gracious is our god I, and i gave her time to repent that word, their time, is talking about not just time, as in as in so many uh, uh, like a season, uh, a time that way. Um, it, it's not necessarily setting a a, a a number of days on it, but it's more like we we've given them a, a season, we've given them an area of time, and they they've extended beyond it. I gave her time to repent from her sexual immorality, and she did not repent. Now this tells us this that before this word came from Jesus to this word of correction, came to this church through the pastor from Jesus that he has been speaking to her on her own. He has been speaking to her spirit. Maybe he has sent people to her to speak to her uh, privately and she has rejected it. God isn't just saying, I gave you time to repent and didn't do anything about it. He's witnessing down on the inside of her spirit. This is wrong. This is not the direction you're supposed to go. You need to get out of this. Other people may have been coming to her and said, this is what you're leading people to do, what you're telling people to do. This is wrong. This is against the word. You're causing the confusion. Some of these young ones are going this way and they're going to be t- taken out in a way they're not coming back. They're not going to come back to God. You need to, you need to stop this. And she's not listening. And I gave her time to repent from her sexual morality and she did not repent. Indeed, I will cast her into a sick bed and those who commit adultery with her into great tribulation unless they repent of their deeds. Now, in the King James, I have a note that it says uh, just says bed, but the word here would mean a bed of sickness or a bed of affliction. So that would be a place of uh, that you would be in, a sick bed. They translate it that way here in the New King James. But a bed of sickness or a bed of affliction. Because she did not repent, because she didn't listen and do what she was supposed to do, indeed, I will cast her into a sickbed and those who commit adultery with her into great tribulation, unless they repent of their deeds. So there's still opportunity for them to repent. If they wanted to, if they would repent, there is still an opportunity for them to do so. But so far they hadn't done it. And he says, if they don't, this is where they're going. This is the end result of where they will be at. Indeed, I will cast her into a sickbed and those who commit adultery with her into great tribulation. So the people who follow, not everyone in the church is following after what this woman is teaching. But some of them did. Those who commit adultery with her into great tribulation, unless they repent of their deeds. Of course, that word there for repentant is our most well-known one. The one that means to have a change of heart, a change of direction. Not just remorse. Not just sadness for it. Verse 23. I will kill her children with death. Now, how many have a hard time understanding that? I will kill her children with death. And all the churches shall know that I am he who searches the minds and the hearts. And I will give to each one of you according to your works. Well, you don't have to go anywhere except inside this verse to understand what he's saying here. I will kill her children with death. The children that she has are those who follow after her teaching, that follow after her seduction. Because look here at what he says at the end. And I will give to each one of you according to your works. If you have works that follow after what this woman is teaching, then you're going to have what this woman is going to get. And he's calling them her children. They weren't going this direction before she came in. But she came in. She began to teach these, these things and to, to go that way. And, and don't be doing it. We as a church, just learning from, from here, they, this this particular church faced all kinds of temptations sexually. And he's telling them, don't, don't go after that. Don't pursue this. This is the head of the church, Jesus Christ speaking. We have to make sure that we keep ourselves out of those sexual areas. Because the devil tries to lure people in for the, for, for whatever you know reason, whatever fun and games and needs and whatever it is that you might have. But that's not what, what God's saying. He says, no, you stay out of it. This is a place of, of bad stuff happening. Don't get involved with it. You get involved with this. It's not going to end well for you. God says, I don't want you to go in that direction. I will kill her children with death. And all the churches shall know that I am he who searches the minds and the hearts. All those other churches that are looking at this church and saying, how come they get away with this? And he says, no, they're all going to know you didn't get away with it. And I will give to each one of you according to your works. So these children, these are those who share, who will share in her punishment. Verse 24, now to you, I say, and to the rest of Thyatira, as many as do not have this doctrine who have not known the depths of Satan, as they say, and I will put on you no other burden. Now, who's the letter written to? The pastor. Look at verse 24. Now to you, I say. Who's he speaking to? He's speaking to the pastor. Now to you. So these words that come next are, are specifically for him. Now to you, I say, and to the rest of Thyatira, as many as do not have this doctrine. Doesn't that sound like that the pastor may not be on board with this doctrine? Doesn't it sound like he has kept himself away from this doctrine? Now, if this truly is his wife, what kind of a rift do you have there? And it didn't start off super huge. The, the wife started to part with some things and maybe the, the, uh, the pastor saw this. This, and he, he maybe, maybe he came down on it. Maybe uh, he just let a, a little bit go, but then the rift began wider and wider. Pretty soon you got certain ones that are following after what she's teaching and he's up there, he's not teaching that. Now to you I say and to the rest of Thyatira as many as do not have this doctrine who have not known the depths of Satan as they say, I will put on you no other burden. He says, I know that there's some here and you're not following after this, you're not going in this particular direction, you are standing firm. You're not going after what the other city is going after. You're not, pu- you're not pursuing that particular direction. You're staying away from it because of what the Word of God has to say. So this is important. Because she came out as a prophetess, which means she is trying to pass off what she has as a teaching in the area of prophecy. She is trying to get up, thus says the Lord. She is saying it somehow in a way that the Lord has instructed me, the Lord has told me and passing this on. And some people are accepting that and just going on with it and just, just, just going on that, that way. Now, I was out running here this week and sometimes when I'm running, you know, you have, you have these conversations with, with God and uh, this is one conversation came up and I don't want this to turn political. Uh, it's gonna, it may sound like a hair in the beginning, but it has nothing. I what I want you to take from this is not political. What I want you to take here is the spiritual lesson on this. I'm running along, minding my own business, listen, listening to some preacher, probably Brother Keith. Brother Keith Moore in my ear and listening to him. And I had this thing going on. I had to stop it. He, he asked me this question. He said, did you give Joe Biden a fair chance? That came up in my spirit. It came up just that way. Now, from here on out, the conversation was very rapid. <laughs> and rapid in that it, those words were pronounced to me in my spirit. Now, I didn't hear them audibly out loud, just in the same spirit everybody else would hear it. They came up. And then I began to say things in my head. You know how you can say things rapidly in your head without enunciating all the words? So that's how the conversation went. And so my response was, no. Because, and I just went on and told Why? Because I know that the things he stands for are against what your word says. And I don't have to seek after anyone about whether this person is good or bad. Because your words... And we had a much longer conversation. i this to you. And we went over. I went over some of the things that I know are, are completely against the word of God in this. And said, so, no, I didn't give him a fair shake. And here's what here's what came up in my spirit again after this, after we're you know fire shooting things back and forth. This is what this is what came up. He said, in the same way, in the same way, my church should not be listening to prophetic words that take away from the written word. I said, I got it. I got that. See, it's not political. He's using that as a vehicle to show me something. That sometimes people in the church will listen to what somebody says prophetically or somebody declares as a prophecy and will take that, well, maybe that's something that I should follow. Maybe that's a direction that I should go. I've been thinking about that and begin to pursue this particular area. And this was is, this is, this is in the rapid fire stuff, not the actual words that were, were enunciated. But basically it was this way. God has no reason to waste time speaking words to you on issues He's already taught you in His Word. That's right. That's right. So I got it. I heard that. Yes, sir. I got that. If I know it in your Word, I don't need to waste time trying to seek after God to, to tell me I should do this or I should do that or... Or, or whatever it might be. Because His Word is very, very clear. And see, that's the situation here with these people. God's Word was very, very clear and they let somebody come in through prophecy and begin to direct them in another way. And we should not do that. If I have God's Word on the subject, I don't need to seek after the voice of prophecy to confirm it. I have His Word. Verse 24 again, Now to you I say and to the rest of Thyatira and as many as, a, as do not have this doctrine who have not known the depths of Satan, as they say, I will put on you no other burden. This part here, who have not known the depths of Satan. False teachers will always offer something deep or something not known by others. False teachers will always offer something deep or something not known by others to try and persuade you and to pull you in. Don't fall for it. Whatever we are to, I've mentioned this to you how many times? Whatever we are to order our behavior by in the Word of God, it is mentioned clearly in the Word, it is mentioned often, and someone did it. Those are three pillars I always use for things. It is clearly stated in the Word, it is mentioned often in the Word, and someone did it. There's an example for us to follow. If it doesn't have those things, I'm not saying it's not word, it's not true. I'm saying that you shouldn't have to order your life by it. Whatever you're going to order your life by is in the word a lot. Verse 25, but hold fast what you have till I come. That is a word that all of us can hang on to. Hold fast what you have till I come. Many people in the Christian uh, family they're waiting for a word from God to come. When that word of God comes, they, they, I need to change what it is that I'm doing. I need to alter what it is that I'm doing. We're always looking to change because change is always good. Because most people resist change. I don't want to resist God. So I need to just accept change. And the enemy can get you on this thing. Look what he says here to them. Hold fast what you have till I come. There is nothing less glamorous than holding fast what you have till He comes. I mean, I just got to keep doing the same thing, walking in the same truth, staying in the same light. Absolutely. That light can increase, but stay with it. Hold fast what you have till I come. That means what they had was pretty good. Don't let go of that. Hold fast what you have till I come. Has he come yet? <laughs> and he who overcomes and keeps my works until the end, to him I will give power over the nations. So you've got to hold fast what you've got and by holding fast what you've got, you will overcome and you'll keep my works until the end. Remember he mentioned the works? He shall rule them with a rod of iron and they shall be dashed to pieces like a potter's vessel as I have also received from my father. He shall rule them with a rod of iron. This is where we're going. Right now, people just kind of do what they want. It's not going to be so pretty soon. Now you can see from this, is there unity in this church? The church of Thyatira, is there unity in this church? There is not unity, is there? God has specifically said there are two different groups here. There is this first group that's following after this woman. He calls Jezebel and going after the things you're not supposed to go. And then there's this other group. Who's not going at that? They're need to hold fast what they have. Is he telling them, look, y'all just need to get along? Y'all just need to be united. Quit all this diversity. No, he's telling them what? Hang on, group that's that's following the word, hold on to what you got. Don't you let it go. You hold on to what you got. Other group, you better repent. You better get out of that, because if you don't repent and get out of it, the end is coming. Does that sound like a God who wants his church just to be united? He wants his church, his church to be in the truth. That's far more important to him. Whole lot of folks out there anymore and have been that way for years, always talking about unity. Ah, oh, we all just need to be united. That's hogwash, it's garbage, and it's straight from the pit of hell. Do not listen to that. You hold fast the truth that God has taught in a world that wants you to compromise everything that God has has told you is sacred. And you don't let it go. And I don't care if that opposition comes from outside the church or if it comes within the church. If it's not in the Word, you don't follow it. If the Word teaches you this is true, then you hang on to that truth. Now, it doesn't mean we have to get nasty with each other and fight with each other over different things. But it does mean I am not letting go of what I know is in the tr- in the Word that is truth. I'm not going to let it go. I know that there's some some Christians out there they're not operating on the level I'm operating at. And there's other Christians out there that are operating at a higher level than I am. I cannot walk according to how someone who is higher than I am I don't have that understanding. I don't have that revelation yet. I can't walk at that level yet. I have to walk at my level. But I'm not going to do, dip down and walk at a lower level just to make other people happy. That's what we got to make sure we do. Hold on to it. You remember some, what was it, some months ago we went over that verse of Scripture? Jesus came to bring division. I'm sure most of you remember that one. Now, who would make a push for unity on this subject? The synagogue of Satan, as, as he's put it in here. Those that appear to be religious, but are false they're the ones who'd be pushing for this. You got people in this church of Thyatira. Guys, you need to just chill out. You need to just compromise a little bit. We're in a we're in a different world. And we got to live the way we need to in order to make this thing work. And you just need to to knock all that that stuff off about being sexually pure and not going to these meetings and not being part of these groups. Verse 28 and I will give him the morning star. Now, for those of you who come out on Wednesday nights, and for those of you who don't come out on Wednesday nights but want to, we're going to get into something about the morning star. Because of that, we're not going to get into it today. <laughs> but there's some things that might surprise you about that, uh, that term, morning star. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. You see, not everybody has an ear. Some people are listening to the wrong, the wrong one. They're listening to the wrong source. This woman was listening to the wrong source. And she was leading people along this way using, thus saith the Lord, using the spirit of prophecy, using these particular things. But this is a word of correction. Before we get out of here, we want you to, to understand what, what goes on here. Because, uh, I don't know if I put this note in your outline or not, but all that goes bang is not from God. <laughs> Just because something seems to be really Boy, did you hear that word that was given? That doesn't mean that it came from God. Now, you may get a word of correction. Don't raise your hand on this one, but how many of you have ever, in your spirit, felt a word of correction for someone that you don't have a relationship with? You don't really know. And I began to ponder that. I said, yeah, I've I've seen that kind of happen. And sometimes you'll see some, some Christians just kind of ignorantly rush in and go out to this person they don't know and exhort them and try to correct them. And it falls flat. It doesn't go anywhere. Don't do that. Don't do that. Why would God give a word of correction to someone who doesn't know the person? So I ask that question. Why would that happen, God? So here's here's what I get. It could be that God gave that word of correction to the people that are around them, that know them. And none of them obeyed. None of them would speak it or none of them would hear it. That could be what it was. And so he's had to go outside of their sphere of influence and find you. And if God gave you that, it's to get your attention. I need you to get your attention to focus on this brother or this sister over here that needs some help. If God has given you a word of correction for someone that you don't have a relationship with, that's not a... a, uh, a ticket to go in there and just just rush in like a fool. What it is is a cry for help, and what God is saying, I need you to establish a relationship with them so that you can give them that word. You see, so many times we get something from God and we think it has to be now. Well, God gave it to me now, I have to say it now. God gave it to me now; it's for now. It's not for later. It's for now. No, God can give you that word. And maybe the season for repentance isn't quite over for this person. But you need to get in there and establish a relationship with them. Build them up. Help them out. And then when the opportunity is right, God will show you. God will help you. Give that word of correction. And now they'll receive it. But if you give that word of correction without the relationship, they're going to be turned off to that word of correction and turned off to you. Now, if somebody else builds that relationship and comes out with that word, it'll immediately bring them back to their time with you. And they'll reject it. Sometimes we need to, to have that. If we're going to give a word of correction, there has to be some, some love going on. They need to know that we love them. If I know that they love me, then I'll, I'll, I'll receive that correction. When you have a coach on a team and they correct you, you receive it because I know that coach is looking out for the best on me. He's trying to make me better. If you were in the military, and the and the sergeant at arms, whoever was uh, running the drills, gave you a correction, what is the appropriate response? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Thank you, sir. And then you go on, right? That's how you respond, and that's how we need to be when correction comes. But not everybody is that way. But when correction comes, I need to thank you, Father. I appreciate that correction. Thank you. I'll 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 fix that. I'll take care of that. I need to... Yes, I, I can see that. If you have a word for correction, and that won't come, you walk start operating in the area of prophecy, it's not going to come to you early on. This is for someone who's been walking in the spirit of prophecy for, or, or the gift of prophecy for a little while. Because when you first start off, you're going to be more in the areas of encouragement, exhortation, and comfort. But if you have a word of correction for someone is that not actually a word of comfort if you're doing something wrong and you're not getting it right and someone comes over and helps you out I had this happen I don't know a, a bunch of weeks ago I was over at Costco getting gas I mean get gas over at Costco well they have that pesky little thing you got to take the uh, card out and you got to put it up to the scanner but um, I know I was doing this my wife was doing this we were over there it looks like the card should go a certain direction just from the way it's set up. But it won't take it when you go in that direction. You have to go in a direction that's against the grain of what you're doing there and it just doesn't seem to be right. And so a couple of weeks ago, uh, we finally figured it out. You know, we, we know how to, we're, we're experts now. We can go up to Costco and get guests. <laughs> or BJ's. I guess it was BJ's. It wasn't Costco. BJ's was the one that's near us. And so um, uh, I was sitting there and there was a line for the guest, I was trying to get some. And there was this uh, gentleman. He was out there in the, and the gas, you know, this is this is all the pandemic stuff going on. There's a bunch of people out there pumping their gas with gloves and masks on. I have neither. <laughs> <laughs> and so I'm waiting for my turn to get in line, to, or to get the gas. And I see this this uh, older gentleman. I always say older. He may be, uh, you know, he may have three or four years of me. <laughs> but he, anyway, he was a little bit older than me. And so I saw him over there. He was struggling. And I locked in and I said, he's going through the same thing I went through. And so I quick got out of my car. I ran over to him. I said, sir, can I help you with that? He says, yeah, the, the car just doesn't go. I, and I didn't, I didn't put him down saying, oh, you stupid person. You got to hold it this way. I didn't do that. I let him know. I says, you know, I, have, I went through the exact same thing. Did the same, held it the way you're holding it. And it doesn't work. I said, I found out. Turn it this way. And beep, it went right off. Oh, he just said, thank you so much. And he's over there. He has no mask on, no gloves on. And so I slapped him on the shoulder and said, absolutely. <laughs> and went back over to my car. He was helped for it. I was helped for it. But wasn't that correction comfort? That was comfort. Correction can be a comfort. And so it can fall right in line with, with prophecy and the definition of what it is. But you better do it in the right way because you can also offer correction and there'd be no comfort to it at all. Just exhortation, just nastiness. You don't want to go into into that place. So when you have a, if correction is there, let me tell you this, correct, if correction is in prophecy, more than likely it's private. This is public because she refused the private. And she began to bring other people into church in that. They all needed to be corrected. Now it's a public matter and that's why this is public. But if you get a word of correction, more than likely folks it's going to be private. Pull them aside. And you don't need to let anybody know that you went in this direction. Just tell them what you, what God gave them. Let them make the correction on their own. And don't you go back there and try and take any credit for it. Well, yeah, they got it right because I helped them. You don't need to do that. That's getting into the area of pride. You get into the area of pride, whatever you do in the area of prophecy will be tainted. It'll be wrong. Don't, don't let that happen. Don't get into that. Well, today is our Communion Sunday. Let's all stand. So we distribute our... Our elements that we have here. Jesus gave us an example. I heard someone uh someone say that communion is the bridge between the first and second coming of Christ. I thought, yeah, I could see that. And it's certainly something that it was instituted when Jesus was here the first time he came. And it's going to continue on until the next time He comes. And so we continue to to, uh, walk in the knowledge of what He has done for us on the cross. But as Jesus had His disciples in the upper room, He took the bread before supper and He broke it. Passed it out to everyone. He said, this represents my body which is broken for you. He wanted us to remember what His body did for us. His body provided healing. Upon His body was put our sicknesses. Upon His body was put our pain. Because He didn't want us to have to bear those things in our body. So He bore them in His. Always keep in mind what Christ did for us in the presentation of His body. He was beaten. He was bruised. He was whipped. His flesh hung off of him. He made sure he took every one of those lashes so that nothing was left for you. What a sacrifice. I don't know about you, but it's one thing to die for someone. It's a whole nother matter to suffer for them. And he suffered and was beaten all night long until the morning and they took him out to the cross. That's how much love he has for us. As we eat this together, let's keep in mind incredible love he had for us and still does. He doesn't want us to have to face those things anymore. Let's eat together. After supper, he took the cup. He said, this represents my blood, the blood of the new covenant. The old covenant sin was just covered up. Each time you sinned, there needed to be a new sacrifice temple was always busy slaughtering animals cleaning up blood but Jesus came and the blood of the spotless lamb would be all that we would ever need don't let the enemy ever tell you that you have to add anything to what he did just receive what he did shedding his blood for us that he died that we would live let's drink together and remember to God Father we thank you the the great love that you have for us not only demonstrated in the communion elements breaking the bread the blood the Father is represented how you correct us you love us so much that you try and correct us in that still small voice when we don't listen to that, you bring up people that are close to us and around us. If you refuse to listen to that, you'll go find others. Because your purpose is you want us to repent. As much evil as this woman did in this church, you still wanted her to repent. And there's still a place for her to be forgiven if she would. That's how great your love and your forgiveness is. I thank you for the part we get to play in this world for your kingdom. And we can operate in the gifts of the Spirit to edify, build up those that are in the body. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Before we go here this morning, the children have, have something for us.
1: we are here to talk about what we have been learning for the past few months we have been learning about in and not of the world and the armor of god and tithing we have been encouraged for the past few weeks to to put into practice what we have been learning being in the world But not of the world means that we are set apart and cannot do what everyone else does just because we are in the world. Our words need to always be spoken in love, and we must stand strong against peer pressure. We are so thankful that our pastors are living examples of this. Um, so we learn about the armor of God, and the armor of God is, a vi- is vital for all Christians to be able to stand against any battle brought against them. Uh, some people think using any piece of the armor is sufficient, but we know that the entire armor is needed when going to battle the enemy. Uh, the armor of God is a metaphor in the Bible that reminds Christians that uh, the rea- lay about the reality in spiritual battle that describes
0: the protection available to them. And Christians are called to put on the belt of truth, breastplate of righteousness,
1: gospel shoes of peace, the shield of faith, Helmet of salvation and sword of the spirit, and I think that not just us children, but um, all of us are lucky and blessed to have amazing leaders and pastors that embody and wear the armor of God every day wherever they go. So, in Super Church, we've learned how tithing is a way we can give to God and know He will bless us in return. We've seen in Scripture that being a cheerful giver is has a positive outcome. However. We've also seen that not being a cheerful giver can have a negative outcome. Pastor Steve and Miss Connie are great examples of positive outcomes from cheerfully giving. A good congregation knows that being a pastor is more than a full-time job. Churches as far back as the early 1800s knew this, which is why they implemented the process of pounding their pastors. Pastors could not successfully tend to their flocks in both celebration, need, and teaching while also tending their homes and farmsteads. In order to help their pastors provide for their families and to sustain them through harsh winter, they would bless them with a full pound of goods from their own supply. They provided things like a pound of beef, a pound of sugar, or a pound of butter. Today, we have brought our own pounds to pound our pastors with. While our pounds are not as literal, we still hope they are a blessing and bring joy to you both. Thank you. We now invite anyone else with a gift to come up and pound your pastors.
0: I'll tell you, all all year long, you guys always bless us, and um, just constantly blessed just by your your hunger for the Word and the way that you push us, and we um, so appreciate that, and thank you, we're going to have a fun time going through these these pounds here, (laughs) but uh, thank you very much for all that, we surely appreciate that.